Remember that weight loss is tricky. It's not about taking a medication or an injection. It's not about just going and working out and having a meal plan where you restrict calories. It's focusing on you as a whole person. I always say that weight loss is a process of letting go. It's letting go of the excess fat weight, but all of the emotions that are tied to it. Welcome to the Dr. Ashley Show. Welcome to the Dr. Ashley Show. I'm Dr. Ashley, and today we are going to forecast the weight loss trends for 2024. I want to talk about what you can expect and the pros and cons and what you should look out for. You know, I was a previous ballet dancer. For those of you who don't know my story, I was put in ballet when I was really young. I loved it. I was obsessed with it. Uh, but my body didn't physically conform very easily. I had to push it to do things that it didn't want to do. I was told that I was fat countless times despite restricting calories like crazy and avoiding all specific foods that I thought would cause me to be fat. But I never was able to reach my goals. I had a fairly successful dancing career and I danced professionally throughout the country. I was probably in the top 1% of all professional ballet dancers, but still I fought and fought. Uh, I ended my dancing career when I was chosen to perform up in New York City. You know, that's every dancer's dream. I was selected to perform in these once-in-a-lifetime performances. Instead of finding myself in the spotlight, I landed in the ER. I had no idea what was happening with my health. I thought that I was having a heart attack. And after a whole bunch of tests, the neurologist came back and said that I was simply underfed and overexercised, and I could not continue doing what I was doing. He's like, you've got to stop. And I felt like a failure. Probably doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was 20 plus years of struggle and sacrifice. It's like Michael Phelps being up at the starting line of a race and him being carted off to the ER and told that he was done forever. I mean, that's where I was and that's how it felt. And so as a result of it, I, I stepped away. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I understood how significantly nutrition or really lack thereof impacted my own sport performance. So I decided to go back to school and earn my PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease. I decided after that I needed more schooling. I wanted to be a true expert in the field of weight management. So I went back to school again and became a registered dietitian. And all the stuff there I learned, I knew didn't work for me because I had tried it during my dancing career, you know, eat less, move more, have more willpower, eat everything in moderation. And I'll tell you, when I was dancing, I did everything to lose weight. I exercised like crazy. You know, when you're a professional ballet dancer, you're dancing from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then a lot of nights you got shows. So you are moving your body all the time. And I would dance like that. I'd restrict calories. And then I would go to the gym and take a cycling class or get on the elliptical to try to burn more calories. I did the zone diet. I did the low fat diet. I was vegetarian for a really long time and then I just felt like I was lacking in protein so I added some chicken and eggs in there for another probably 10 years I did the watermelon diet I read a book on that and I followed that for two weeks where I just ate watermelon that was interesting when I was vegetarian I ate a lot of soy because I really felt as an athlete like I was just really having a hard time building muscle and strength and I just had too much fat on my body for that sport so I ate Luna bars like crazy. I ate tuna. I had soy milk and it turned my hair curly. 
I swear the straight hair like this was ringlet curls. I swear from all the soy and the impact it had on my hormones. I followed the Atkins diet, the South Beach diet. I've written them all here as I was going through the years of my dancing career. The slow carb diet, Weight Watchers, and the blood type diet. And I know I haven't remembered all of them. So I have tried all of the fads, all of the trends. Then 15 years ago, I shifted everything. It was when I was going through my dietetics, when I was becoming a registered dietitian, I was like, this stuff does not make sense. And I started to research the Banting diet from overseas, uh, stuff where they were treating obesity, the rare cases of it in the 1900s. I researched the paleo diet. I studied the book written by Mark Sisson called The Primal Blueprint, and it really changed my life. And I looked at what we were supposed to eat as humans, as species, a long time ago in the cave days. And I found that if I ate whole foods, if I didn't fear fat, if I really embraced my body, then things started to fall into place. I stopped doing chronic cardio. After I retired from dancing, I felt like I had to discipline my body in a different way because I was used to it just being exhausted. I liked that feeling of physically being exhausted. And so I took up cycling and I would ride 250 miles a day. I would ride 120 miles in one ride and then go out and ride again the next day. Still probably, you know, 20 pounds over the weight that I am now and I eat more now and I obviously exercise significantly less and I'm much healthier, less inflamed. So I just want you to know I'm sharing this with you because I've been through all of the different diets. I've been through the struggles that were mine with weight and it really took understanding real nutrition and the truth behind nutrition, not the dietary wisdom that we are given from the government, unfortunately, or from most physicians. And so all of a sudden it started to fall into place. So I'm going to share these trends with you that are coming up in 2024. You know, the newest thing, the newest fad, the hottest thing that everyone's doing. Usually it starts with celebrities and then it passes along to us. But what you really need to figure out, what I urge you to figure out is to find something that is sustainable, something that focuses on whole foods and focuses on not just what and when you're eating, but also on the mental and emotional aspects associated with the change you're making in your body. That's one thing I studied when I was getting my PhD was the mental, emotional, the habits, behaviors. I knew that that had to come into play and that there had to be a way to be able to drop weight without harming metabolism like I did when I chronically underate. So as you go through and you're learning about these trends or new trends pop up or ones that I haven't predicted here come up, I want you to think, okay, am I eating real whole food? Is this something sustainable? Do I have support once I drop the weight? And is this something that seems like it, it might be fad? It might be something that's short term and helps me drop the weight quickly, but not go all the way and, and not sustain it. So let's dive into these trends. And as I'm going through here, I want you to pick out the pros and cons. If you're watching this on YouTube, drop a comment below and let me know what you think about the trends that I picked out. If there are any trends that I missed and then Tell me, what do you think the pros are? What do you think the cons are? What are the things that I have potentially missed as I'm going through these? So number one is the plant-based trend, the plant-based diet. And a lot of people follow the plant-based diet because of health, environment, ethical reasons. And I probably should do an entire podcast episode on this, 
I'm just going to dive into it briefly. And I know that it's very controversial. And I'm just going to share from my research, my experience working with over 8,000 people and over you know 15 years of helping drop weight and my own experience as well is going to come into play. So in general, when you look at plant-based from a health perspective, it's not as clear as it comes out to be. Nutrition studies are really, really hard, and most of the studies looking at food and nutrition are poorly designed, their methods aren't great, and a lot of times they're funded by big food and big pharma who want to prove a specific hypothesis. So a lot of the research, unfortunately, we can't really trust. You may have heard of Ansel Keys. He did a study of 22 countries and the impact of nutrition on heart health, and his hypothesis were those populations, those countries who eat less fat will have less heart disease. And he studied 22 countries. However, his study, his research that came out is called the seven country study because he cherry picked the seven countries that showed a reduction in fat consumption led to a reduction in cardiovascular disease. If he had included all of the 22 countries, he wouldn't have been able to show anything because a lot of the countries showed that eating more fat was actually heart protective or didn't have any negative impact and it was neutral. And so this is how research goes about things. It's, it's very difficult. Also from a nutrition perspective from the methodologies, how they determine what people are eating is usually through a food frequency questionnaire. And what this does is it will ask you what you ate like in the last three years or in the last year. So it might be like in the last year, how often did you eat a hot dog during the week? In the last year, how often did you eat French fries during the week? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if you asked me what I ate three days ago, I wouldn't remember. So this is a big issue and it's not very accurate. So when we're looking at the health of plant-based diets, a lot of it is inaccurate and a lot of it doesn't consider the lifestyle habits of the individuals. It just looks at the food. So for example, it might take two groups and study individuals who eat a vegetarian vegan diet and just consider the food and those who don't. And if you look at vegan and vegetarian individuals, they are usually, as a general rule, more in tune with what they're eating. They're making specific choices for their body, for their health. They think what they're doing is right. And that is now we understand like the placebo effect. And if you think what you're doing is right, it's going to have big positive impacts on your health alone. And it doesn't consider that they're more in tune with themselves, that they usually are more active. They might meditate. They might journal. They are probably less likely to smoke. They're less likely to drink a lot than individuals who aren't a vegetarian and vegan. But it doesn't mean that meat is the culprit. So that's just one example of it. And there was a study that recently came out and it looked at plant-based diets versus meat eating individuals and it considered lifestyle and it found that those who ate meat when lifestyle was considered it was taken into consideration those who ate meat were actually lived longer and leading healthier lives than those who avoided meat so there's just more into this and for me my personal this is just my personal experience I was a vegetarian, like I said, when I was dancing and I just didn't feel good. My body fat percentage was too high for the sport, higher than it is now. Didn't have good energy. 
I was anemic. I didn't get what I needed through the diet and I decided, like I said, to add more chicken and eggs and I felt better. And then I just continued my reading and research. And I was like, oh my gosh, I probably just should eat a steak. And I ate a steak and it totally transformed my health. That was my experience. There's also environmental aspects that I understand from a carbon footprint, greenhouse gas emissions. We say that if we eat meat, um, we increase that. And it's actually much more complicated. So research shows that actually large-scale cropping and agriculture associated with plant-based diets leads to increased habitat destruction, soil degradation, and increased pesticides use. And we do know that we can find a balance when regenerative agriculture is being used, like increasing soil fertility and ecosystem balance. So when we can properly manage grazing animals, we can actually sequester that carbon in the soil and not impact climate change negatively. We can also reduce food waste by using the whole animal. So although it seems that eating a plant-based diet might reduce the carbon footprint, it's actually a lot more complicated than it looks just on the outskirts. So I really encourage you to do your own research, to dive into the literature and at some point you got to choose what your body needs to be its healthiest. And I wish that there was a way actually uh, that we could go about things and not need to eat animal protein. It would be lovely if we could find a way to get our body what we need and to support the world and the earth in the way that it needs to. But right now it just doesn't look like that is the way. Ethically, it's difficult, but you know, plant-based farming kills many animals too. And in general, when I look at the cons and the pros of being plant-based, there's just, I see more cons, especially for those who are struggling with excess fat weight. It can be very difficult. And I know there are outliers and there are people who can drop weight with a vegetarian or vegan diet, but I find that it's very difficult and it's very difficult to maintain muscle mass and the balance of, of hormones and blood levels and minerals and vitamins in the body without eating animal protein. Okay, so now we're going to jump on to number two, and that is the trend of app-based programs. The pros here is that it's convenient, it's data-driven. If you really like data, if you like biohacking, then it could be a great method for you. It's accessible, it's readily available, you can do it at home, you don't have to go anywhere. The cons are the opposite of that, right? That's no touch. Proximity is power. I see this with PhD, and for our in-office clients who come in and see us, in person, it really, that personal touch means a lot to them. And just as much as our over the phone clients, you know, they have a coach on the phone with them, talking to them, customizing things, tweaking things, um, and really understanding and getting to know them and coaching them through kind of like an addiction recovery process for a lot of people. So I know the clients who come to us at PhD really do want that touch. They want that high physical connection that we're able to give them through PhD, that real world engagement and that feeling of community. So if that feeling of community is important to you, then probably app-based is not going to be the best way to go. I also feel like once you drop the weight, you need some kind of support, continuous support there. So if you do an app-based approach, make sure that you get that continuous customized approach as you're maintaining. So number three are peptides and medications. So terzepatide, you've probably heard it called Manjaro or semaglutide is another type of peptide or Wagovi is its name. 
These are similar to type 2 diabetes drugs. Well, they are type 2 diabetes drugs, and they are GLP-1 agonists and GIP agonists. So how they work is they mimic specific hormones that are released normally when we eat. And so what they do is they tell the liver to produce less glucose, and they tell the pancreas to release more insulin. And so it helps the body by reducing blood glucose levels and producing more insulin so that the glucose that you do have in your blood can enter into the muscle cell to be burned. Uh, it tells your brain that you're full, so you eat less, and it also slows the movement of food through your stomach so you feel full longer. And they're finding that terzepatide, Monjaro, actually allows uh, weight loss for most people of 20 to 25 percent, so over the 15 percent that they've been finding with semaglutide or Wagovi. Um, the pros are that obviously it results in weight loss and you can see some cardiovascular disease benefits. So it reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease, dropping blood pressure and such. Uh, the cons are uh, that it's very expensive right now. Insurance isn't covering it. It's about $16,000 a year. Got to take this drug forever or else the weight comes back because the feeling of fullness isn't going to be there unless you're taking the drug. A lot of people have severe abdominal pain. We have a lot of clients who come to PhD after taking it because they had so much stomach pain, nausea, diarrhea, they couldn't stand it, or they stopped the medication and the weight started coming on and they started to panic. It does increase heart rate and nothing that chronically increases heart rate for long periods of time does anything good to the body. So that's a bit concerning. And then it does reduce muscle mass. And the reason why is because people aren't hungry. They're not eating as much, specifically protein because protein really does fill up the stomach. And so they're finding that muscle mass starts to waste. In a recent study, 40% of the weight loss was from lean muscle mass. And that's a huge issue, especially as we're aging. Muscle mass, remember, is our marker of longevity. It's our marker of our metabolic currency, you could say. And so you really want to maintain muscle mass. So if you are using these drugs, you want to make sure that you're strength training, you're exercising, and you're eating adequate levels of protein to try to minimize that muscle loss. Oh, and another symptom that I have here is that it is shown to increase risk of thyroid cancer, specifically if you have a thyroid issue. So you want to just be aware of the impact that these medications can cause both on the pros and the cons. And then making sure that if you're doing the medication route, that there's something from a lifestyle perspective. I was talking to a pharmacist and she sees so many people coming in, getting semaglutide and getting terzepatide and very concerned because these folks are gaining the weight back and they're not having any kind of lifestyle change support. So she's actually working with us at PhD so that if folks are taking the medications, they can also have the support that they need from a behavioral side of things and understand and learn what they need to eat so they don't have to take this drug forever. All right, so number four is Whole30, and Whole30 is a 30-day reset to your eating habits. It's existed for a while and people have found good success. It's not specifically for weight loss, though people when they eat clean obviously start to drop some weight. It's positive because it identifies and eliminates problematic foods because there's a specific list of foods to focus and foods to not eat. It's whole foods, it's nutrient rich. It brings awareness to the foods that you're eating and it just eliminates unnecessary foods. And when you eliminate these unnecessary foods, you find that your digestion might improve and you might drop a little bit of weight. So that's great. The cons are that it's not customized to you. It's not specific. It's not working on the habit behavior side 
of things as you are dropping this weight and creating big lifestyle changes. And then it's designed as a reset. You know, it's this 30-day program. It's not designed to really focus on fully collapsing the belly fat. Remember, no matter what trend you do, you really want to focus on fully collapsing that belly fat. The fat cells in the belly are active. They secrete hormones. They act kind of like a tumor. And if you only do 30 days of something and drop a portion of your excess fat weight, that weight is very, very likely to come back with a vengeance once you go back to your old ways of eating. Number five are the juiced fast. They continue to trend. They continue to be here. It's basically drinking fresh squeezed juice, vegetable juice or fruit juice for a number of days or weeks. And you all listening to this probably realize that this is not sustainable. I guess the pros are that you're going to stay hydrated and you might experience some quick weight loss. So if you need to fit into a dress for a wedding and drop five pounds, it might do the trick for you. The cons are that most of the weight that you drop is water weight. It has all sugar. So what I really do want you to understand is that juicing isn't necessarily the greatest thing. When you juice a fruit, let's just say an apple for an example, or even a carrot, you're going to juice that item and all that's left are some of the vitamins and minerals and all the sugar, none of the fiber. The fiber is what slows that blood glucose spike in the body. So now you're getting this bolus of sugar from the carrot or the juice. You're not getting any of the fiber and you're going to have this massive spike in glucose, this compensatory low, which is not good for your body. I talk a lot about that in previous episodes. It can result in muscle wasting and it's just not something that's going to be good for the long term. So if you feel you want to do that for two or three days, go ahead, but it's not going to be a long-term solution. And I don't really see a huge benefit to it in general. We're probably better off just doing a two or three day fast really. And number six is the keto diet. It is still trending. It seems like it's going to increase in popularity. As we go through 2024, the keto diet is a significantly reduced low carb lifestyle eating about 20 grams of carbohydrate or less each day. It's high fat, moderate protein. The pros are that it can be therapeutic for many things besides just weight loss, like epilepsy, uh, therapeutic for some types of cancer, for Alzheimer's disease, dementia. It reduces hunger, reduces cravings. It improves your blood sugar. It improves your triglycerides in your lipid panel. It increases mental clarity. So there are a lot of good things when it comes to the keto diet. The cons are that it's not very sustainable. So it is very hard to live that lifestyle of being less than 20 grams of carbohydrate a day. When I talk to folks who have done the keto diet, it seems like they do it for a period of time and then they just fall out of it because it's very hard to continue along with those restrictions that it requires to be in ketosis all the time. And a lot of people give up early on because of the keto flu. The keto flu really is a little bit of a detox, which isn't a bad thing, but also it's being low in sodium and electrolytes. So if you are going to attempt the keto diet, make sure that you're drinking plenty of water with salt. And also be sure to talk with your doctor because if you have high blood pressure or you're on blood pressure medications, you want to talk to them before you add a ton of salt in the diet. But usually it's a really easy fix there. So in general, I urge you to find something that's going to be specific to you that works as a lifestyle change. You don't want anything that just focuses on calories. If you have something that talks about points or calories, then it's not going to be something that is tackling all aspects of what weight loss is. 
You want to make sure that it's customized to your body, specific to your lifestyle, your needs, your medical history. You also want to make sure that you've got support, accountability, and a lot of touch points. Remember that weight loss is tricky. It's not about taking a medication or an injection. It's not about just going and working out and having a meal plan where you restrict calories. It's focusing on you as a whole person. I always say that weight loss is a process of letting go. It's letting go of the excess fat weight, but all of the emotions that are tied to it. And a lot of programs, a lot of these trends that I've talked about, they focus on the weight dropping, but they don't focus on the mindset going in parallel with the weight loss. You have to do both. If you just tackle the physical form of the body and not the mental, emotional, spiritual side of the body, then it's not going to work out and you're going to find your weight loss come right back up because your mindset hasn't dropped into this new identity either. And then lastly, make sure that you've got support in maintenance. Maintenance is where the work is to be done. So make sure that you've got someone there by your side guiding you for at least a year after you drop the weight so that you can practice these new habits and behaviors. Remember that if it's too good to be true, it is. You've got to put in some of the work. If the program or the process that you're taking seems really easy and whoever you're working with says, gosh, you're not going to have to work at all, that's probably a sign that it's not going to be something that's sustainable, right? We've all got to pay our dues. You've got to pay your dues. So I hope that this was helpful. Again, if you are watching this on YouTube, please drop a comment below on what you think about these trends and if I've missed anything. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform, please follow us and leave a review. It means a lot. It helps the algorithm pick us up so that we can move about and impact more people in a positive way. So remember, you got to step up to make the change. Lead with your heart, train your mind, and do not negotiate with your body. See you next time.